Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. In reality, everybody kind of wants to be somebody else most of the time. Like a lot of people work in cubicles and want to be an entrepreneur. Or a lot right. of people want to be a writer, but they're stuck being an entrepreneur or whatever. I always say that the distance between what you're doing and what it is you want is a matter of your tenacity, your courage, your honesty about your ability and your gratitude. And you can pretty much accomplish what's on your mind. The fear is to change your life. The fear is to step out from what you have created for your day-to-day. We have just finished Happy Days, and I realize I don't have a plan B. I just lived my dream for the last 10 years. I do not have anything to replace it with. I went for a while, not knowing what was going to happen to me, but I knew one thing. I knew inside me I was not done yet. I knew that I have more to do. I've got Henry Wingler on the podcast. I have to tell you, this is like a bucket list moment for me. Thank you. We're not going to talk too much about happy days. I want to focus on your more recent work with Barry, which I find to be the most incredible show out there right now. Just Thank won you. 13 Emmys. Congratulations. Or it got nominated for 13 nominated Emmys. For, and, and, you know, I was called uh, uh, in congratulations from HBO. And uh, the, the head of all publicity, uh, Nancy, uh, said to me, I want to just tell you, I've been doing this a long time. First-year comedies are not recognized. They just don't get the recognition they deserve until the second year. This is unheard of. And then uh, for writing, for acting, for producing, for directing and cinematography, and the list goes on. It, I'm very proud. That, that, uh, so I want to actually, well, we're going to get to so many aspects of your career. And okay. um, ag- again, I just, happy days when you were on that. Loved playing, it. Playing Loved the Bonds, you were the probably the most popular person on the planet. Like Paul McCartney said, you were more popular than the Beatles. Well, let me just say, I met Paul McCartney on uh, Madison Avenue in about uh, uh, 65th Street. Uh, my wife and I were walking. Uh, we were walking uh, and came at each other from opposite directions. And he went, the phones. <laughs> and I, I, I was speechless. I couldn't believe it. And then we started talking. A woman came out of a shop and brought us a, a, uh, a rose each. Somebody else came up and said, can I just stand here and listen? He said, we're in the middle of a conversation. <laughs> and uh, that was that. What did you talk about? <laughs> uh, you know what? I, uh, he gave me his phone number uh-huh. and told me to call him and we'll get together. And like the obsessive um, idiot that I was, I called him several times in a row. Uh, he never answered. I never he, saw he him again. He didn't pick up the Fonz's call? He didn't pick up the call, no. He must have been pissed off that I was more popular than the Beatles. <laughs> so, so on Barry, yes. uh, you play uh, an acting coach. Yes. And Bill Hader, who plays a hitman, an yes. assassin, 
stumbles into the class semi by accident. He's he, one of his targets is taking the class. That's right. And the series revolves around this tension he has between you know having this kind of soulless job of being a hitman, and I say job in quotes. And he finds he's he finds purpose by hearing your words, reading your book. And and taking acting lessons from you yes. and participating in that class, he finds yes. purpose. He finds maybe love uh, or not, and and there's that tension where it's hilarious, and it's also we're talking about a guy who murders people for a living. In one episode, um, if, now if you haven't seen it, you can see it on HBO Go. You know, on uh, on demand. Uh, but uh, in one episode, he kills his very best friend. In the next episode, uh, he kills the enemy, and all of a sudden he goes from your jaw dropping to the 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 carpet to becoming a hero in a matter of uh, thirty six minutes. Yeah, it's it's because you don't really know throughout the series how to understand who he is because right. he's also trying to figure right. it out. But now you're starting to realize towards the end of the series, you know. What's what's how the characters are shaping up? Even though there's drama throughout. I mean, the very right. first scene, he's it's the very first scene's hilarious. Even though because even though he, there's a dead mangled body and he's just impassively like just doing his job cleaning up, that somehow is very funny to me. Right. And it's it, the way they do all those and the weight of God, this is boring, uh, is amazing. Right. And and yeah. yeah, and then and then there's there's an interesting thing about there's several interesting things, not just interesting, but fascinating things about the character you play. So, but and by the way, I'll say this repeatedly: you've done, uh, you know, hundred, you know, dozens or hundreds of movies, TV, theater. You've worked with everybody in the business. Uh, Happy Days itself ran eleven seasons. But uh, uh, it was so interesting to see you interpret this acting coach because obviously you've been acting and you've been right. a serious actor. And you and I was watching the series with a friend of mine who was an actress, and she said, that's just like my acting teacher was. Well, he is, first of all, I taught four classes in my life, uh, one at Northwestern and three at Emerson College where I went. And I so enjoyed it. And then I have had about 14 or 15 different drama teachers in my life. Some of them good and some of them should be selling shoes. And then I heard about all these acting teachers from other people. There was a guy that taught in, uh, in uh, L.A. where his kids were, his class was forced to buy his artwork. Do you know, these kids who have no money, they are spending it on rent, food, and acting classes. Uh, they're at the beginning of their careers, not getting a lot of jobs, and they have to buy his art. So I took all of these people can, and, and just squashed them up, swallowed the, the thoughts, and out came Gene Cousineau, the teacher of thespians. So, so when you read, what would you say is the difference between the character you read in the script, and I know you stuck to it word by word, and your interpretation of it, of, of that character. Like, how did, was there any kind of dissonance between what the, the producers and writers expected and what you then portrayed? The, the biggest dissonance was that, uh, because I'm so dyslexic, uh, that I, uh, I have survived by ad-libbing. Uh, when I don't remember a line or can't read a line or can't read off the page. And Bill would say to me, if he said it once, he said it 100 times to me. He said, please, if you could just do it the way we wrote it so I could hear what we wrote, I would be so appreciative. I said, Bill, I'm trying. My lips and my mouth don't exactly go to, together with my brain, but I'm going to get there. Now, the other thing was, they, I, I only knew this afterwards, uh, when we did press when it, at the premiere, they had written a darker, harsher, meaner teacher. And as I was playing him, they started to write him as I was um, evolving. So they just changed their course um, watching what I was doing. They told me that. I did not know that. That that's interesting because you in the very first scenes with you, yes, you um, kind of make uh, Sally that one of the main characters, Sarah Goldberg. Sa yeah, is she amazing? Yeah, she was great, and you know she becomes a potential love interest for Bill. But she's, yes, she was the premier student in your class. You sort of 
make her really angry to get emotion out of her. Yes, right. Is that a, a class? I imagine never having taken- A lot class. of teachers do that. They say, we've got to break down your bad habits. We've got to, um, we've got to rebuild you into the actor you can be. Uh, I, all, I think that a lot of it sometimes is masochistic so, so uh, is that, or sadistic. Is that, is that a little bit, uh, this is why I'm curious about how you interpreted it. Cause I almost feel a scene like that is cliche in the sense that I expect an acting coach to to do that kind of right. like make the student angry and then say, okay, now use that anger and you're on the stage. Right. I feel like I've even seen that in other movies or whatever. Yes. So what what did you do to kind of, because it didn't feel cliche to me when you were doing it. What did you do to say, make it your own? I don't know. I don't have an answer to that question. What I do know is this. I, um, at, at the at drama school, uh, I had a dance teacher. Her name was Carmen de Lavalad. She was the lead dancer for Alvin Ailey's group before Judith Jameson. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm playing a deer. And I had to become a deer. And she, and she was a deer. And I said, how can I be a deer if you, this, this unbelievably famous mover of your body, is going to be a deer? And she said, my dear will be completely different than your dear because it's me and it's you. Just your being will force the dear to be different. So, so I want to understand that yes. because, and I know we'll, we'll get to Barry, we'll get to everything, but I want to understand just that one direction she gave you. Okay. How do you play you how does the you come out as a deer? Like, how does your inner truth you know come what? out as a deer? All characters, if, if a character is well-written, you're already in it. That's why Shakespeare is still um, uh, unbelievably popular this um, almost 500 years later. Because every character he wrote, take away the language, and you've got a human being you totally know from your family. You totally know from your circle of friends. You totally know from the temple. The, uh, it, 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 humanity is the reproduction or, or, or acting is, is, is reproducing and holding up as a mirror the way we live. So, so, and you studied a lot of Shakespeare. I did, and I can't do it. I mean, I know my limitations. But you were at the Yale. Uh, I was at the Yale School of Drama, and I was in, uh, I was in Macbeth, uh, and I played young Seward, and that was it. I was killed and I had to lie on the stage as a, as a corpse for about uh, two quarters of the, uh, of the third act. And, the, and then I feel like after such a great dramatic experience when you were at a very young age, yes. you know, st studying at Yale's uh, you know, theater, you, 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 many of your roles, the roles I would say the world knows you as, including and up to Barry, right. but let's say Arrested Development and Happy Days and your Adam Sandler roles, uh, you're a very funny comedic Thank actor. Thank you. And did you ever? And I know you've done great drama as well, but really you're known for for a lot yes. of these comedic roles. Right. And do you ever feel like, oh, I don't want to be just no. playing a comic role? You know what? I, I thought that I wanted. Listen, my my one of my things on a bucket list. Uh, I want my children and my grandchildren to uh, meet their destiny. I would like to win a Tony. And uh, I'd like to play a mute. I don't know why, that just is in my mind. Anybody here want to watch a, write a screenplay for a mute? We've got okay. Henry Winkler. Don't all speak up at once. <laughs> now, but the thing is that I am blessed. I love my career. I have worked with uh, geniuses, Gary Marshall, Adam Sandler, Mitch Hurwitz, who created yeah, Arrested, uh, Development. Arrested Development. To watch him live on the set when you're saying something that is extraordinarily funny and he goes, you know what, this will be funnier, say this. And off the top of his head comes this, I don't know what, this, this gift. Uh, and now the, the combo of Bill Hader and Alec Berg together make a bubble of brilliance. Truly. And the point is, if it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. You can work as hard as you want. If it is not written well, if it's not written with intent or a point of view, 
you will eventually uh, uh, pull off your mooring and you will float to the middle of the ocean. So, so, and this is what I sense from, so Gene Cousineau, the, the acting teacher you play, yes. he does have a point of view. He yes. takes acting super seriously. Yes. His and advice- also if you can pay in cash, uh, uh, on time, right, and that's very the, important. That's the dissonance, and that's almost the. That's re- so much of your talent. The, the the relatable aspect for many people is that they have acting coaches who give good advice, but also they they really need that check in advance. Let me just tell you this: that um, this is one of the things that helped me create Gene Cousineau in my acting uh, theater. Uh, in the on the set, there are uh, um, uh, posters framed all through the walls of the, of the set. Um, Gene Cousineau presents, right. directs, produces, and stars in. And one of them is Peter Pan. And they had me in a harness and flew me like Peter Pan. The only thing is, I did not bother to dye my hair. I am playing Peter Pan at 72. <laughs> I knew Gene Cousineau right away. Well, and it's funny because then... In the middle of the season, you we we see you in this one scene and one scene only, but it was enough to see you auditioning for a role, oh. and it was only a one line role. The role is man in the back of a line, and you give two interpretations of right. it, which is hilarious. And so we kind of then see, oh, he's like the students too, I'm and yet you, you are you do have a point of view about acting where you're giving great acting advice right. to the students. But here it is: everybody in the show wants to be somebody they're not. Hmm. Bill Hader is a, an assassin and wants to be an actor. I'm a teacher. I want to be an actor. Uh, uh, Sally, played by uh, Sarah Goldberg, wants to be, uh, uh, you know, the greatest, and she is is completely unsatisfied by the characters that Shakespeare has written for her. She wants to be Macbeth. Everybody wants to be somebody else. Do you think that's like you mentioned earlier that? Uh, you know, you won so many Emmys and that the people at HBO said, this is so unusual for a first season sitcom. Yes. Uh, do you think part of that is because in reality, everybody kind of wants to be somebody else most of the time? Well, you know, I, I, a lot of people want to be in show business, so that's relatable. Uh, a lot of people want to be, as you just said, somebody else. Like a lot so of that, people work in cubicles and want yes. to be an entrepreneur or a lot right. of people want to be a writer, but they're stuck being an entrepreneur or whatever. Well, the distance, I always say that the distance between what, you, what you're doing and what it is you want is as thin as the thread that it sews on your button. It is a matter of your tenacity, your courage, your honesty about your ability uh, and your gratitude. And you can pretty much accomplish what's on your mind. The fear is to change your life. The fear is to step out from what you have created for your day-to-day. Well, and, and I feel if you look through your career and your acting life, let's view it in terms of the, the arc of the hero where you know you you know, in the middle, you get obstacles along the way that are increasingly more difficult. Right. And I sort of see that happen in your career. One of the obstacles being between happy days in the early nineties. Where I was not hired. Yeah. And, and, and you said this was uh, in interviews, this is a very low moment for you. So what, what was a day in the life like during during those nine years. I don't know. Okay, and and so, you were the most famous person in the world at the beginning of that period. Right. And so I had an office at Paramount. Uh, and then I had a producing deal with ABC, which uh, I, don't, I don't know that they do anymore. I was really lucky. Part of my compensation was on the air. Uh, uh, if I got a show that they liked, they would put it on the air. That, would, that was part of my deal. I'm sitting... In my office at Paramount, we have just finished Happy Days. A few months have gone by. And I realize I don't have a plan B. 
I just lived my dream for the last 10 years. I do not have anything to replace it with. I am psychically in pain. I literally, when, when you are rudderless, when you don't know what it is you want, it literally hurt my head. I was sad. I, I would sit at my desk. I was smart enough. I didn't know what to do, so I did nothing. And eventually I produced, and then we did MacGyver and sightings, and I directed a little bit. And then in But 90- doing nothing, what was that? Doing nothing is not forcing the issue. You, if you force the issue, like uh, I, I, it is a, a great metaphor, is fly fishing for trout, which I love. You are using a very thin, thin line. And if you force the fish, the fish will break the line and you will lose it. If you allow the fish to go away and then you bring it back again and you let it go away and you bring it back again, eventually you will take a picture with that fish. So, so this, this sounds great, but it also sounds incredibly difficult to do because you don't know. In, the, in those moments of, of feeling at bottom, you don't know if there's going to be an uptick. You don't, you don't know, know if patience is going to pay don't off. Know. When and, you're fly and, fishing, you don't know if no. when you're standing there, if the fish are going to eventually catch the bait. That's right. You don't know. But here's the thing. And, and, and as a, a short Jew, I am completely obsessed with wanting to know whether or not I'm going to catch another fish, if I'm going to work again. But I will tell you something, and this is the honest truth. I went for a while not knowing what, what was going to happen to me in, in uh, very uh, recently, but I knew one thing. I knew inside me I was not done yet. I was not ready to hang up my spurs. I knew that I have more to do. Presto jingo, all of a sudden, out of the blue, comes this magnificent gift of Barry. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, that initial 
when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of Entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use HIMS from now Not on. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? HIMSS.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See Hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So, and also, I mean, simultaneously, Arrested Development sort of been on and off. Right. You know, so you've had, a, you've, you've been involved in that, but Barry, you're like the main character along well, the way. Well, I'm, I, yes, I, you know, in, I, I'm almost like a guest star on Arrested Development. I, I do a few uh, a year, and, and people, thank God, like my character. Uh, Mitch likes the character. Uh, I only play characters, actually, that, are, uh, that have an association with the name Barry. <laughs> My lawyer is Barry. The show is Barry. Yeah, Barry yeah. Zuckercorn. Yes, right. Yeah. Barry Zuckercorn, uh, who he, is the craziest person I've ever played. It, he's he's hilarious, and I always like uh, on Arrested Development the many inside jokes that refer to Happy Days. So yes, there's, I, there, when you, I when jump you the step shark. over the shark, you're jumping the shark. Absolutely, and then the mirror. There was, there was an amazing scene when they fire you and hire. Scott Bayo to right. play their new lawyer. That's right. And they directly address this because we want to appeal to a younger audience. Yes. And so it's it's directly related to Chachi rising up in happy Absolutely. days. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I mentioned this once, Brian Grazer came on the podcast. I mentioned this once to him and he said, you know more of these inside jokes than I do. So right. I'm the only actor in the world that has jumped the shark twice. Right, right. Because you, you, I mean- just to mention, I find now some people don't know what that phrase is. It refers to that point in a series 
or anything where it go where the series goes so off theme in in it is in, outstayed its welcome. Yeah, that that maybe then the the show's on its way down and right. you literally jump over a shark in the Hollywood series. Uh, you know, right. the cast goes out to Hollywood for some reason in right. season five. And Ron Howard is right, is driving the boat, and I jumped the shark on water skis. And by the way, I love that scene watching it when it happened in Thank 1977. You. So Thank you. I don't think it jumped the shark at all, but then it became a common phrase and that's right. Popular and culture. we were still number one for the next four or five years anyway, which by the way meant 30 million viewers a week. Yes, right. So, so, so how do you feel now that media has changed so much? I mean, now. You, it's impossible well, to get I was lucky else. because yes, there were paparazzi, but not paparazzi that followed you home. You know, it was not as intense as uh, as bloodthirsty as it is now. I I was uh, very lucky uh, that um, I lived in a in a different time uh, doing the Fonz. But but you know, we, I mentioned that there were a couple obstacles you went through in in your career, and and we talked at first about. You know, you feeling rudderless or maybe typecast during these nine years, right? And I wanted, and I know uh, Stacy, your wife, is in the audience here yes, somewhere. She is. And I just wanted to ask: Is this how did you deal with him being maybe depressed every every day uh, when That's he came home? That's a good question. Is that really for me? Yes, for you. It was difficult. Like, how did you how did you support him through that? You guys have been married 40 years. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm just engaged. I'm trying to figure out the, the secrets of a good marriage. I always knew that he was successful. I never doubted for a second that he would work. I, I, and I, you know, I could have been insane, but I, I just, I felt sad that he felt that in order to, I think he had set such a high bar for himself because he thought that, I think, we were just talking about this this morning, that I think he thought unless he could literally make history again, like the Fonz, that he would not be a successful person. He felt, I think, that he wanted to create another character, do another role that would... Or any role. As any role, but that would be perfection, you know? And I really think that he has found this in Barry, because I think he's the best he's ever been. He's the most relaxed. I see none of no self-consciousness. Did you see self-consciousness in his early roles? Sometimes, yes, I did. What, what were you self-conscious about? I pushed. Discomfort in his skin, I, I think that's what I was. I, well, because I was uncomfortable in my own skin, I was uncomfortable as an actor. I, it, was a, uh, it was like a, a, uh, a conundrum. Because as an actor, I was able to take risks that I didn't know I could take in real life. But yet at the same time, as an actor, I was pushy. Uh, I would love to have some of those roles back now and to, to do them again and do them. It took me, as I, I started saying, that when I was 27, I knew who I wanted to be as an actor. And now at 72, I'm getting closer. <laughs> That's so funny. I, I keep thinking, you know, it's amazing to be at, at 72 and you have so many things going on. There's, of course, Barry, you have, you know, 30 children's novels, over 30 children's novels you've written about a dyslexic child. Right. Which brings me to another obstacle of yours. You didn't read your first book until age 31. You didn't that even know true. you had dyslexia until age 31. That's true. How the hell did you memorize lines before then? <laughs> you know what? I, I could read it very slowly. And as I read it, if I was focused, it would go in, especially if it's written well. Something that is written well goes in like you're drinking water. If a script is not written because well- Because then you could feel it. Yeah, or you understand it on just on the human terms of it. If it's not written well, if it's just a bunch of words that string together into a sentence and, they, and some pretentious person is writing a script, you could try and memorize that from now until doomsday. 
and it just doesn't make sense. It's not going in. It's impossible. Well, you know, you said in one interview, and this connects to advice that Gene gives and Barry, you said that when you auditioned for the Fonz yes. in Happy Days in, yes. I guess, 1972, right. you, um, you had to be, basically, the Fonz was everything you weren't but wanted to be. That's right. So, so I'm always trying to figure out. But let me tell you, I was able only to do that when I changed my voice. When I changed my voice, it was like something, I turned a knob inside my body and I just became a different, uh, a, a different persona. You know, all of a sudden I could talk to anybody that was in the room, hey, listen, don't you touch me, you know? And then I threw the script up in the air and I sauntered out of the room and they called me on my birthday. That was two weeks into arriving in California. And they said, would you like to play this character? I said, if you let me show the emotional side, it will be my pleasure. They said, okay. I said, okay. And my life changed. Yeah, because in the first season or two, you were sort of more this tough guy, almost, I couldn't figure it out whether you were bullying or, but then suddenly there's this real emotional side to you and, and the whole show changed as a result. Like right. you became essentially the main character of the show. Well, one of the emotional sides was because uh, we would do shows according to letters the producers got. One of them was from a home for um, uh, wayward boys uh, in Massachusetts. They said, look, the guys here love the Fonz. They love Happy Days, but they won't show any emotion. Could you write an episode where the Fonz says it's okay to be emotional? And that was how, that was the time that I cried over Richie, who was in the hospital, and I made a deal with God to make Richie get better. That's funny because also there's so many times when the Fonz is emotional where you can't actually express an emotion. Like you say, right. love. Yeah. You can't say love. I can't say love. <laughs> I can't say wrong. Or lose. Remember, hey, day, you're, you're, I was. I, you know, I, and, and it's such an easy word, right? I'm... And, but at this point, you didn't even know you had dyslexia. Like, all through your childhood, you were getting poor grades. That's right. I can't imagine what you must have gone through just reading every script. And right up the street from where we are, I went to PS87, where the little boy that I write about in Hank Zipser goes to school. PS87, yeah. right up the street. This is my neighborhood. No, I know. This is... Is this, a, is this a homecoming for you, coming to this? It's, I am in shock. <laughs> I am in shock that I am sitting here, that it has come full circle, that this has been here when I was um, uh, a young fellow, and now I'm here um, uh, being interviewed by you. So, so again, when you were, so you, you had this dyslexia, which obviously was a huge obstacle. Right. And then you also go through this, rudderless time that's and right I, and i just i want to play i want to play henry to you for a second just to, let's say he comes home and he says uh god damn it honey they, they they're still sending me that grease script they keep just thinking of me as a guy wearing a leather jacket i don't want it how would you react to that well i i'm sure i could have reacted better in hindsight but it was hard for me to understand because it was very successful. I didn't believe, I, I couldn't process that he did not feel like a success. That it just was, I, Henry used to say it was just too black and white. So I would say, in those days, look in the encyclopedia. You're in the encyclopedia. <laughs> you made history. Your jacket is in the Smithsonian Institute. We, we can't, you know, we, on our first date, we were in the car, and Henry was waving at random people. And I, I was born and raised in Los Angeles and I had been around people in the entertainment business all my life, but this was foreign. And I would say, who are you waving at? And Henry would say, 
how would I know? And this was not normal behavior for me. So it looked to me like he was extraordinary and extraordinarily successful. So it was hard for me to understand what was going on inside of him. And how do you think you survived, the marriage survived those nine years? Well, um, you know, the, everything gets um, a de, uh, uh, everything gets in its own in its own place. And um, what I was professionally didn't translate to who I was on the earth. That was a completely different compartment. And then um, our marriage, we had wonderful children, and. Uh, I did not feel uh, terrific. I was always trying to crawl out of a stainless steel cylinder with no handholds, no footholds. And I would try to get to the sun and I would constantly slip back. At what moment do you think you that period in your life was over? About last Wednesday. <laughs> Okay, I'll believe that, yeah. but if you, if you don't tell I me am, otherwise. I am now a different, different human being. I have a different view of life, of living on the planet, of the fragility of living on the planet, of um, relaxing into living on the planet. Uh, and I have to say that I, I am a devotee of the sentence Youth is wasted on the young. Hmm. Well, obviously you're living a very youthful life. Like you're more active than anybody I know. So, so I have a good time. You know, one of the uh, pieces of advice you give early on in the in the series, which I thought was great advice, um, and forgive me if I misquoted, That's but okay. uh, you say in acting, take take the choice you're afraid of. Right. What's the exact phrase? I can't remember. You make a choice that uh, will put you in jeopardy. And um, because you have, uh, have, have chosen to just step over the line, to step over your comfort level, it forces you to see how resilient you are, how uh, imaginative you are, how powerful you are in that you can handle what you thought you couldn't. So like, what's an example in, in your life where you did take the choice you were afraid of? Uh, I became a producer. I don't like producing. I don't understand business acumen. I, uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, I, I realized that, okay, I'm doing this thing. Not only do I not like it, but I don't know how to do it. And I'll just do the parts of it I do know. There is always somebody to help you with what you don't know. Somebody did the business, somebody did the technical, I did the scripts, the casting, the, um, the talking to the actors, the making sure there was harmony. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, these shows came and stayed for seven years. Like MacGyver, for MacGyver, instance? MacGyver, which is now going to uh, premiere again in for the third year in September. And so what when you were auditioning for the, the acting teacher, Gene Cousineau on yes. Barry, uh, how in your audition, did you, do you think in, when you're auditioning, um, how am I going to make a choice that I'm afraid of that puts me out of my comfort zone? I did not uh, because the whole process put me out of my comfort zone. Mm. I was on a razor edge. I had, I could not think about how am I going to be good. I could only think about just be here, be here now, and whatever happens, happens. Throw um, my fate to the wind. And it just turned out that uh, Sherry Thomas, who is the casting person, reading with me was so supportive. I could feel it. And I, 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 I don't remember if I, I said this or not, but out of the corner of my eye, I saw Bill Hader laugh. I made Bill Hader, who Stacy and I watched on Saturday Night Live, who we laughed at Bill Hader for years and years and years. I made him laugh. And all it was, was just going, not with my head, but with my instinct. 
And so, so I want to know what that means though. Like, so you're in, in, what, what was the difference between what your head was telling you and what your instincts were telling you? Okay. Your head is demanding perfection. Your head is worrying about, am I good? Am I not? Am I funny? Am I not? Your head, it's almost as if your head is trying to distract you from the job at the moment, from the situation at hand. Your instinct is you are going with whatever is coming into your mind. I did a play uh, after I graduated from Yale Drama School. I went to Cincinnati, Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park. And I was in a show called, uh, a play called Incident at Vichy by Arthur Miller. And the director said to me after, the, after we opened, he said, I had no idea what you were doing in rehearsal. I just couldn't replace you. I didn't have time. And I had no idea this character was going to emerge. You do what comes into your mind. How do you think, and I mean, I think this kind of head versus instinct is important in so many areas and of I'll life. And I'll tell you, as a, as a, if you're engaged and you become a parent, as a parent, your instinct will know everything that is right about taking care of that child. Your head will only know a fraction. Well, well, but how do you, in, in, in a professional scenario like you were in, like you just described, how do you know to kind of, was that an, was that an instinct on your part to be able to go into the instinct side of you? I was able, since the beginning of my working career, to beat my head into submission and allow my instinct, my imagination about what I see on the paper, the way it sounds to me inside, what other people in the script are saying about me, what the director is saying, what the writer is saying, and put that all together and just let it fly. Jump off the, the precipice and fly. Do you see what the character looks like? I don't. I see him, uh, whoever I'm playing, I see him in details. And the beach is made up of one grain of sand. And then all the other grains are there. I start with a detail. And then all of a sudden one detail attaches to another and pretty soon I've got a, a living organism that turns out to be Gene Cousinau. I don't even, I don't always know how I got there. I, um, I told uh, uh, the boys, I told Alec Berg and uh, Bill Hader a story. I told them about being in class with um, uh, the, the late great- um, Stella Adler. Stella Adler. The first exercise at drama school was to make a garden in your mind and walk through it so that the class can see what you see. And it was my turn. Winkler. And I got up and I opened the picket fence and I started to walk through it and I said, and here, she said, sit down. You see nothing. I said, what are you talking about? I didn't even tell you about my variegated tulips. And the, the forget-me-nots, you want one? Sit down. So what do you think she saw? I don't know what she saw, but I did not allow that to cripple me. I did not allow her to tell me I didn't see the entire um, garden that I had. That's so funny because uh, my my I, I do actually have a, a daughter from a prior marriage. How old? And, uh, uh, she's nineteen and she's in Stellar Adler's summer program right oh now. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so she wants to be an actress. An actress. Wow. But uh, uh, one thing you say, I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. Uh, well, and then I'll also mention one more time, Barry. But uh, one thing you say is that uh, in another interview, acting is a combination of concentration, relaxation, and listening. Yes. And I'm life is listening. The, 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 uh, for me, the, the center of all relationships is the ear. I have learned that I knew this intellectually and I am learning this now uh, on a more visceral level. 
It does not matter what you meant. It only matters how it lands on the other person. And then you must be um, open to that. And then you work that miscommunication out. What's the concentration The part? concentration is be in the moment and do not worry about being right. And um, uh, relaxation, I was so worried as a young actor. I literally had two costumes for every character. I would sweat through one and I would have to change as soon as I got off stage into the other because I was soaking wet. As soon as I relaxed and allowed myself to just be in the situation, I never sweat again. Now, I perspired, but I did not sweat. How did you relax? How did you learn to relax? Will. I wanted to, and it took me five years. I did a, uh, a television movie with Sissy Spacek, uh, and I just kind of relaxed in a scene. I wasn't tense trying to be perfect. I was just being there, listening, reacting. And I went, oh, that's what they meant. So, so Henry Winkler, once again, several things. Thanks for coming on the podcast. What a pleasure to be here. Barry is a, a total incredible breakout show for me. Like I've been constantly looking for like, what new sitcom can I start watching? This is, this is the show and, and you, you prove it by just getting nominated for 13 Emmys. You and Bill Hader do such a great job. You, of Thank course, you. play uh, an incredible acting coach, but also got that vulnerability that's that's so interesting. And um, and then just the the arc of your career. You've worked with so many amazing heroes of mine, in addition to yourself being a hero of mine, but everybody on the cast of Rest of Development. Ron Howard was your co-star in Happy Days. Robin Williams' his first appearance oh on Happy gosh, Days. Oh my gosh, yeah. When, you, when, just one final, when Robin Williams was on Happy Days, was everybody like, what the hell is this guy doing? I'll tell you what happened. They couldn't find anybody to play Mork for Mork. It was Gary Marshall's youngest son who gave, him this, gave Gary the suggestion of having an alien come to Milwaukee. <laughs> Wednesday, Robin Williams shows up. We shoot Friday. My entire job that week was not to break up and to get out of the way because I knew I was in the presence of greatness. Wow. Truly. That's not even hyperbole. That is uh, my jaw dropped when I watched this young man take every single thing that happened to him and suck it in like a vacuum cleaner and it came out Robin. Well, again... Thanks for coming on the podcast. What a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks for being the the Fonz. Thanks for being, uh, helping do Barry, which is a great show. I I encourage everyone to watch it. It's like my current favorite show. You can see it on uh, HBO Go. HBO Go or Amazon Prime. There's, There's all these places to see it. It's a pleasure to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thanks. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.